0: Hello everyone, my name is Dan Sims and welcome back to the Mold Cheese Collective podcast where we chat to the makers, growers, farmers and families who just happen to make the best cheese in Australia. Today, we'd like to introduce to you a little sub-series from the usual cheese maker interviews. These are the live conversations we have with the cheese movers and makers at our Mold Cheese festivals, which have returned, yes, in 2021 after a year hiatus, thanks to you know what. These live edition podcasts will be marked as exactly that, live, so you know what to look for when scrolling through previous episodes. They're raw, uncut, and we hope that by listening, they give you a sense of the energy enthusiasms of the festivals themselves. To kick things off, we're chatting with Nicole Gilliver from Grandview Cheeses in Tasmania. We love sitting down with Nicole as you'd be hard pressed to find a more thoughtful, articulate and radically candid person. So get ready to enjoy a real, frank and honest conversation around the creative side of things and the challenges that lay at the core of Grandview we talk about the importance of innovative thinking on not just the farm, but the cheese and also the spiritual side of things. And by that, we mean how a small family cheese business ended up making the best vodka in the world. So let's get into it. Nicole, just to kick us off, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself and Grandview cheese uh, and about where you are in Australia.
1: My name's Nicole, Queensland born and bred, living in Tasmania for the last 16 years. Um, That's enough about me. (coughs) Uh, We're a family-owned and operated business from 40 minutes south of Hobart, overlooking Bruni Island in the channel region of Tassie, uh, which is not the Huon. We sort of hold hands with the Huon, but... Climatically, we're quite different. Demographically, we're quite different. I'll leave that one there.
0: I was going to say related somehow, but that's just too early in the night to make a Tasmanian joke, isn't it? Is it too early? I haven't said one all weekend, so... I'm
1: trying to be good. (laughs) I don't need any encouragement to be rude or not. So stop it.
0: I might edit that bit out, or maybe I won't.
1: Stop it. So anyway, we farm sheep, milk them and make cheese. We have for the best part of the last 18 years. Um, it is a brainchild of my mother who uh, is delightfully left of centre. Um, it's an endearing quality. It's something that both my brother and I have inherited in some part. Uh, it is a major contributing factor to the uniqueness of what we offer and what we talk about. Um, and therefore the overarching business entity is actually called Unique Enterprises, pun intended because we are a sheep dairy and it's spelled E-W-E. That's who we are. We take conventional products around sheep milk and turn them into something that might challenge your comfort or your belief systems around what they should or shouldn't be.
0: Well, let's talk about cheese before we talk yep. about drinks for session. Uh, and has anyone actually been down to uh, Grandview in Tasmania? Ah, fantastic. Cool. Oh, great. Excellent. Um, one thing you we might have going, observed, right? it's quite small. Uh, this is by no means a massive operation. And and what I suppose, how many cheeses do you make off how many, I mean, sheep do you have on the property?
1: Um. So we've made an interesting transition in the last five years. So when we first started the business, we actually knew that we weren't farming on land that was going to sustain sheep long term. Um, We've always had a very strong backbone of sustainability in what we were doing, but there's no sustainability unless there's viability. So in order to actually start talking about sustainability, you first have to have a viable commercial dairy sheep doesn't exist in Tasmania, doesn't exist in Australia. So our very first challenge in order to be sustainable was to be viable. So our business model is and has always reflected that and to that end our focus around viability has been centred on developing the country's first viable dairy sheep to sustain a viable, sustainable sheep dairying industry. That exists in the cow sphere, it has for decades. You know, we've made leaps and bounds and improvements with regards to dairy cattle, dairy goats even. That was never approached in the sheep world until we hit hardship with what we knew was gonna be the ultimate do or die limiting factor of our viability, i.e. sustainability, etc., etc. et cetera. So,
0: why sheep?
1: <laughs> So um, we, none of us come from an agricultural background. We're all business people originally in some capacity. Um, I was in the business of propping up bars. <laughs> my brother was... Some would
0: say you're still in that. So. Nope.
1: Hard to do in the bum end of Tasmania. Not possible anymore. Removed that risk from my lifestyle. So um, sheep was about picking a niche within a niche understanding that in the late 1990s, there was a yearning amongst people to touch and feel producers of the things that um, were interesting to them that they wanted to consume. And so we set about developing a an experience, an agribusiness experience that would fill that niche. We never thought that it would be a business that would be three generational. We really just thought it was mum's retirement Proposition, and that you know, I would help out for a bit, and that'd be the end of it. Now there's another generation on the ground. I don't think they're entitled to just succeed yet, but we'll see.
0: Well, they're quite young, so they've got some time to grow into that role. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Obviously, I want to talk about drinks and, uh, I suppose, cheese matching. And uh, the cheese is going to come around. It's coming around at the moment. uh, Is is a pretty special one. Um, born out of, I believe, this crazy wild idea that is the Mole Cheese Festival. Maybe if you could tell us a little bit about uh, not just this cheese, but I suppose how that uh, I suppose let's talk about drinks and in particular vodka and gin uh, became have become uh, such an important part of the family business.
1: So from the get-go, the farm was set up under a system of polyculture. So 20-odd years ago, it wasn't particularly fashionable to be taking waste products and turning them into something consumable. In fact, by and large, when we trotted out our vanilla way liqueur and our pinot paste and told people that they were, in fact, things that otherwise would be composted or paid to be taken away, um, it was heavily frowned upon and um, people were somewhat circumspect about our intentions. But um, the the real story behind uh, The Gin Herbalist is in fact that Dan did um, set about trying to entice all of us for the inaugural mould in Melbourne some time ago to develop cheeses around um, celebrating the first ever domestic cheese festival. Um, After much wailing and gnashing of teeth, I thought... I'm done with this. Sims, you can stick it up your bum. I'm going to Germany on a holiday. And I hand passed it to my production manager and said, you deal with it. Um, She came up with a multitude of ideas, none of which I liked and I certainly didn't like this idea. Now this idea is the Gin Herbalist. Um, I was in Germany, she pitched to me via email that in order to develop a product that represented mold and represented who we were contemporaneously, That, given our belief system around seeing waste as an opportunity rather than a cost to a business, that we should therefore take the waste from our new distillery specifically our gin which um, has a great deal of flavour and uh, stick it on the outside of the cheese that actually provides the waste product for the ferment for the vodka that then becomes the gin. So you see Emma and not me and none of the family Came up with this genius cheese that was commissioned by Dan Sims. That was a pain in my ass. That is now our biggest selling cheese. (laughs)
0: There's probably a joke something about me being a constant pain in your ass, but let's not again. Let's not go there. Um, And and I actually was one of these uh, cheeses that was born out of an idea and a concept. Um, of around celebrating the diversity of Australian cheese and again I love, what I really love about the Gin Herbalists and it was actually the first cheese that we did for the Mould Cheese Collective Boxes uh, back in um, uh, well just at the, the start of that that sea thing um, where we were again post five days away well five days away from running the festival in Brisbane, we had to cancel it, uh, postpone it, I hate the word cancel postpone uh, and then pirouetted, That's your word to celebrating uh, the cheese boxes, and it has been become one of my favourite cheeses because it's just got the still got that lovely flavour of sheep's milk, beautiful uh, cheese that the Grandview Edge that I love, but also it's just got this other dimension and another flavour which links it back to the drink side of things. And I love... I didn't realise it was your biggest selling cheese. That's quite Mm. cool. Mm. Probably annoying as well.
1: No, no, not at all, actually. Um, Because... We don't roll out of bed. This is going to shock some of you. (laughs) We don't roll out of bed to make cheese. We don't roll out of bed to make booze. And we certainly don't roll out of bed to be farmers. Um, We roll out of bed to be creative in a space that enthuses us and challenges people's commonly held belief systems around milk, milk products, dairy waste, etc. So we want to be Nishi McNish face. We want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to create a craft spirit, stick it in a ubiquitous clear bottle with a label and go, there you go. Um, at every given point with anything we do, we are trying to look at what we produce as a raw ingredient being sheep milk and value add to it in a very meaningful fashion that is perhaps requiring of way too much explanation, but gives us the ability to tell our story, talk to people like you guys and create an experience that is unique.
0: Let's talk about unique and one of the products that you do produce down there in Tasmania is, in particular, very unique, uh, and that is the sheep's wave vodka. How on earth did that come about, and how has that uh, you know journey been into the well, the multiple awards that it's won? How, how did that all come to be, and how do you how do you do
1: it? Uh, well. So sheep daring is, is, is marginally viable. I mentioned earlier that we were very, and we are still very concerned about producing a viable sheep daring industry. Um, and with that in mind, both my brother and I have children and it's, they're an expensive pursuit, kids. So it became abundantly clear to us that in order to sustain the third generation, we had to increase our earning potential. Uh, we are from Tasmania. Most of our friends are involved in booze in some capacity. They're either um, cider producers, distillers, beer brewers, etc. So, Ryan, my brother, who's not here, he's had to go back to Tassie, but um, when he gets a bee in his bonnet, it's really uncomfortable. Uh, He got to be in his bonnet about this and mum and I were kind of like, um, uh, okay. And so, like a dog with a bone, he taught himself to distill. He decided that he was going to somehow weave uh, some creative magic into our business that would um, wrap its arms around the essence of who we were. He didn't know what that would be, but he knew that potentially it would solve a few different problems Um, and after 12 months of wailing and gnashing of teeth and uh, eventually mum and I said well here's here's a pittance, go and make a lot of money, prove yourself or don't and um, from a retrofitted glass column reflux to a uh, a dodgy Mubru keg came the world's best vodka. So it is still to this day, (laughs) from a waste product, uh, the only Southern Hemisphere... How do you spell
0: Is it W-H-E-Y?
1: Whichever way way you want to. It's a waste product? In that instance, it was W-H-E-Y. Yeah, see, I get to pick and choose. In any event, I digress. But um, out of... It came out of necessity. In order for us to actually be viable as a business, we needed to diversify. Um, And that diversification came with the idea of taking away our biggest waste product um, and turning it into a a high value product. We've always done that, but we haven't always been able to capture the value. Um, And the value in the vodka was well and truly realized when we became the first distillery in the Southern Hemisphere to win the title of World's Best Vodka. Against Belvedere, gray goose, siroc, you name it. That's, that,
0: that, that's like that's such a like an incredible achievement like but th- I suppose again from from small things, big things come uh, is, is probably I 'm trying to get to is that the the distillery at that point was minute, it was tiny, it was micro and I remember it, yeah it was beer, a beer keg, and it, it is incredible to think how. This this idea of looking at the products that you have on the on the farm, the, the way the the sheep's way product, and then to be able to convert that uh, <laughs> into vodka, which had which one hasn't been done before at that particular time, and then go on to win and word of world's best vodka is just a phenomenal achievement, um, and it has now become sort of one of those. Truly incredible and unique Australian products that, for me, is synonymous when I think of Tasmania. Now, obviously, food and and cheese and, and beer and cider, but you know the 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 spirits and in particular, whether it be the uh, the vodka, you know, and or the gin, is just becomes one of those really amazing iconic beverages. Um, and so, here's a question for talking about and uh, the the vodka. What do you think The Sheep's Way gives uh, to the character of the vodka and and what makes it so special?
1: Uh, Okay, so uh, long story short is essentially what we're doing is we're taking lactose in the way that's residual, we're splitting it into two simple sugars, glucose and galactose, fermenting one, the other one doesn't ferment. The one that doesn't ferment actually has the biggest impact on texture and flavour so if you think about rum if you think about uh grappa if you think about any order v or brandy brandy smacks of apple esters you know a good brandy will take you back to apples it's the same with what we're doing because we're converting a milk sugar into alcohol that means that the texture of the mouthfeel, the aromats are still there in the end distilled product Furthermore, what we're not doing is taking 40% of the run as per most of the commercial distilleries. We're taking the 10% of the heart of the hearts, so the purest of pure, and we're not filtering it. We're not filtering it because we want all of that beautiful character, the nuances of milk sugars to remain in the spirit and deliver an experience with that that is definitely not synonymous with vodka as you know it. So again, we're trying to change the conversation during the tasting experience to deliver you away from your oh my god, I used to drink Stolli Rusky or whatever to, hey, guess what? With a little bit of care and consideration we can actually do something that is really sexy in this country.
0: Oh, I agree and look, I had a falling out with vodka when I was 17 and it's taken us a very long time to get back together again. It's still a very conflicted relationship let's just say but but I think he, he said he said it's that that the subtlety well you know we, how do we say about you know, this is what we do it's quite simple and I always find that really amazing with with producers going we just do this and this and it just turns into this it's really simple it's like it is but simple's hard Like, if you think about all the amazing food or products that's out there, that to do something like a simple pasta or something as simple, the care and consideration it takes to actually produce it is considerable.
1: Can I I just say... Yes. That's a learned response. Because nobody wants to hear, it's really hard. You know, we've been on the end of a big pile of shit with a sh- small shovel shoveling for <laughs> God knows how long to figure out complex ferment of lactic acid that's a truckload harder than most of the ferments going around, etc. Nobody wants to hear that. So it's just more... It's so much easier to just say, oh, it's really simple. So we just stick it in a bottle and send it there and it sells and then it goes into our bank accounts and we live. Oh. No, it doesn't. It's bloody hard. It's really effing hard. Every goddamn person in here does the most complex ferment you're likely to actually encounter from a cheese perspective. doesn't matter what the milk origin is. And it's the hardest goddamn... Don't let winemakers, don't let beer brewers or any of those drongos tell you that what they do is hard. It's not hard. I've had this pissing competition at Drunk O'Clock many, many times. I've got lots of maintenance in booze and they don't know shit about ferment compared to us cheesemakers. makers. We do it hard. But it's really easy.
0: It is easy. Well, talking about easy, how long... It's fun. It's fu- it is it's fun. It's a journey. Uh, but, well, from the concept, you said, you know, from Ryan, for the drinks side of things, from when... How long was it between coming up with the idea and the concept of we're going to convert this waste product, this waste product, and convert this and make this into the world's best vodka What sort of time frame are we talking here?
1: I think we were blissfully ignorant. We didn't even know if it was gonna work. We had a budget to throw at Ryan's idea um, and we had no idea how good it was. I mean, I come from the booze industry, so I tried it and I was like, yeah, it's good. And he was kinda like, well, you guys, what do you use as your barometer for good? And we were like, we'll throw it in a competition. So it was like, oh, okay, all right, I'll send it to London. And we're like, dude, can't you just make it local so it costs us less? <laughs> so, no. He sent it to London. Um, and here's the funny part of the story. We are so not hung up on awards that we didn't find out that we'd won the award until three months after it had been announced.
0: How? Is it because you're from... No, no, I won't leave that My there. brother
1: doesn't check his emails often enough. <laughs> I, I, I kid you not. So we can sit for two days, and I'll be on my phone, and I've got two kids, and one's yelling in the background, and so on. He's got one, only just. And I'm like, I sent you an email five minutes ago, and, and he's like, I haven't checked my emails in five hours, man. What are you
0: talking
1: about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I but I, I love that. And well, let's talk
0: about you know the gin. So the vodka was first, and then came the gin. Yeah.
1: So the gin was um, family pressure so <laughs> gin is basically flavored vodka and that's really oversimplifying things but essentially um, there are many ways to skin a cat uh, you can buy in your ethanol from grape or grain that's not the stuff you put in your car it's food grade ethanol um and you can through a series of, of, of very deep understandings of um the alchemy of botanicals and the way they express themselves in those mediums you can come up with a gin that is delightful um, we had the added challenge of choosing not to use commercial ethanol but instead using our vodka which comes out of the spirit still at 96 percent um, and using that as the vehicle to extract botanical profiles the gin Brian was under a great deal of pressure to release because there was a rising tide of interest um, but my brother being my brother Um, was quite right in saying essentially what we need to deliver is not the ubiquitous craft gin ie cassia bark cinnamon cloves bloody whatever in huge amounts and shove it with some craft tonic and that's great that's fine but that's not us it's not a criticism of other people at all it's just not us so his mantra was is and always has been We have to do everything we do that reflects our values and who we are. So the gin is Australian native botanicals, tiny amounts of juniper and deliberately does not hide the quality of the base alcohol. So it took a long time. It took a lot longer than mum and I were comfortable with but we got there in the end Um, and it level pegs in sales with vodka.
0: It's again, and so when you talk about native ingredients, so native to Australia, but also from Tas- uh, Tasmania itself, uh, sort of, how, I mean, how many different types of botanicals do you so use? A, li-
1: a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. So um, we originally decided that we wanted to use exclusively Tasmanian ingredients, um, but that just wasn't going to be a possibility. It wasn't going to give us sufficient depth of character to actually deliver a flavoursome gin option. Uh, So instead we decided that we were going to utilise some mainland characteristics. Lemon myrtles in there quite prominently doesn't grow in Tassie, for example. Nicole, look,
0: I'm just very aware of time and uh, there's a lot more cheese out there to taste. The Grandview story is a really special one. Um, I've I've always loved, it's been too long since I've been down there. The cheeses are absolutely incredible. Thanks so much for joining us for this live edition of the Mole Cheese Collective podcast. If you'd like to hear more, we do hope you consider subscribing or even better, share it with your mates or via the socials. It all goes a long way to help us spreading the good word about Australian cheese. If you'd like to get in touch or have any feedback at all, please follow us at the socials at at Cheese, or send us an email to hello at molecheesefestival.com. We've got so many more conversations to come. So until next time, cheers.